This is David Lloyd, editor of There's Only One F in Fulham, and you are listening to the fabulous Fulham Focus podcast. Well, there you have it. 5-5 five, five on aggregate, those blasted, bastard bees. A, a tough watch where, whilst we were generally outplayed, we were also no way near our best. A weird game that was full of scars, refereeing question marks, continual media slash commentary bias, and more songs about Fulham than their own club. Legoland wins. Ugh. A right kick in the face. I'm J-Mac, and I'm joined by Sam Diamond and Danny Smith. And this is your Fulham Focus Podcast. And uh, that was that was a pun on Legoland Windsor. If, I don't know if that landed at all, but you know, we we move on. Um, Sam, mate, uh, opening thoughts and how how does derbies go? How did derbies like that go for you? I mean, we talked about it in the pod a, a couple of weeks ago or last week, and we mentioned how much of a rivalry it was back in the old days. And yeah, how, how are you feeling? Perhaps better than I was. It was very, it was very frustrating. It was very disappointing. But ultimately, it it wasn't particularly surprising. Um, I spoke spoke in the in the build up to the game how my my, my first concern with a, a derby is always to avoid any embarrassment. And five minutes on the clock, I was thinking, oh, here we go again. And I was having these flashbacks to the three 0 at Griffin Park a few years back when I'm still haunted by Jazz Richards performance yeah. or a, yeah. a 4-0 there from when I was a child even the 4-1 I think at Easter on my birthday a few years back at the cottage and it just felt as oh we're going to be in for another one of these nights um, but somehow we found our way back into it and actually played some good stuff in the first half went in on level terms and I thought okay we have a chance there but the second half was abject on so many levels and, and Brentford didn't even have to be particularly that good in the end to beat us no, I agree with that. I don't think they looked all that amazing. They were quite fortunate. We'll come on to exactly why we think this. Uh, D- Danny, you're just your opening thoughts. I just want to also add, I mentioned it in the opening, I've never heard so many songs uh, about us than themselves. I mean, it was just, you know, stand up if you hate Fulham, fucking hate Fulham, Fulham get battered wherever they go. Songs about Diego Forlan scoring in the Europa League final. And, you know... Stand up if you hate Fulham. Sit down if you hate Fulham. Put your hands on your head if you if you hate Fulham. Shag your sister if you hate Fulham. It's just it's unreal. And there was a flare every time. Every time they scored, there was a fucking flare on the pitch. Anyway, I'm I'm ranting. You go, Danny. What are your thoughts? Yeah, mate. Yeah, obviously not as great as I would have been had we won. Uh, but I think it's important to keep perspective. It's been a great season, and I come from a different generation to Sam. I, I've been a very spoilt Fulham fan. Privileged to have seen us play uh, in the bottom division, you know, the old-fashioned way when it was Mickey Adams' team and, and, and slightly before that. But in my lifetime, from my experience growing up, Brentford have always been irrelevant. I never even saw Brentford as a rival. So I suppose, in a way, you've got to see it as a compliment that they sing these songs about us and 
I don't take it that seriously, if I'm honest. Um, just like I'm sure Chelsea don't take the rivalry seriously, seriously from our point of view. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I wasn't as upset as as you'd imagine you would be losing to a rival because I think it's important not to be knee-jerk in those situations. Easier said than done. And I can hear every single um, person in the Focus team listening to this, that's in the WhatsApp chat going, you hypocrite, because I am probably the most emotionally, um, you know, um, influenced fan <laughs> on earth. Like, But obviously yeah. we're recording this a few days late, so it's easier to be uh, a bit more sensible about it. At the end of the day, re removing that rivalry, they are a good team. It's a hard place to go. And I think they just caught us at, at the right time for them. I don't think it necessarily means that they're a better team than us. So I actually think that would be a ridiculous thing to say based on one game. Um, the teams are probably even, but you take their key players out of, the, out of the team or their best players not being fully fit, and it would have been the same. You know, we didn't have the privilege of a 16-day rest either or whatever it was. So it's just, you know, second half, it just caught up with us. And I think it was more of a case of us burning out than it was them doing anything special. Yeah, we had we had a 10-day rest as well compared to their 16. And that's, you could just, uh, it was just an intensity, Sam, wasn't it? That they we just couldn't match from the get-go. Um you could say they wanted it more than us. I mean, I don't know. I feel like this has maybe been a few games coming of our performances of late. And I just want your thoughts on how, you know, the us bad versus them being good ratio in your mind. And just have have you think this has been coming for quite a while in terms of, you could talk about XG and all that kind of rubbish, but like, you know, just general attacking chances in the last few games. Leeds, we were quite lucky to win because Leeds couldn't score. Brighton, we nicked it, even though it looked like we were going to be destroyed, felt like we were going to be destroyed. Anyway, I'll move on to you. Uh, no, I, I, I think that's fair. I'm always wary of sort of using that cliche about a team wanting it more. Um, yeah. These are highly paid professional sportsmen and I don't think that really comes into it. Um, I guess what is worthy of being noted is this was Brentford's biggest game of the season. They Their, their fans were very adamant about that in the build-up and wanted to, to make their strange little stadium as intimidating as possible. Whether they achieved that or not is is another matter, but I think it certainly played in to, to this a really electric start that they had and yeah it was very adamant that they did have a 16 day rest yeah they scored their fastest it's their fastest ever Premier League goal in the, in the two seasons they've been up and to be honest they could have had two before they'd even scored that one so the, the start certainly caught us cold but also just the other factors. I think we're not, we're not creating much at the moment, and maybe we can discuss the reason why why that is as the show goes on. Uh, but also, then they have their star striker is full of confidence at the moment, um, sort of summed up by a sort of snapshot early on that nearly caught Burn Leno out, and then trying to chip him from the halfway line is. Either can he do anything? Like can he do anything wrong? What did they say? They said something like, like, "Is there nothing this man can't do?" He didn't even score. Honestly, I think I, I do think I saw a tweet. There, earlier. There's a couple of things he he can't do. He he, he can't yeah. pass <laughs> a labrox without popping in. And uh, I'm pretty sure yeah, someone he, someone he tweeted. 
someone tweeted that if Ivan Turney burnt down an orphanage, I think the the, the media would still like rave about him just during while playing football. I mean, it's just mad. But yeah, Ladbrokes, you're absolutely it did, it did right. It feel that way at times. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was it. They they have a, a star striker full of confidence, and unfortunately for for whatever reason, ours isn't at the moment. What were your thoughts on this, Danny? In terms of uh, you know, just because it feels to me that the obvious thing to say is Polina wasn't playing, and they just knew exactly what to do. It felt like we just had absolutely no physical presence in the middle, and that was our downfall. I mean, I felt like we were actually physically outmatched in every challenge. Well, obviously, we could compare performance, individual performances, and and uh, match performances of the team, and and then react based on that ninety minutes. But there's a lot of science that goes into why a club set up a certain way. Um, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that we come back from the World Cup and we were completely set up to the way we started the season. If you think back to how we started that Liverpool game, it was very much the way Brentford attacked us from the get go. Like fearless, we're going to get in your face, and we're going to make this like a cup final, and and we haven't been like that recently. We've we've actually been well structured and hard to beat, uh, and the intensity levels haven't been as high. We haven't pressed as high up the pitch because we simply just I don't think we have the legs to do it. Um, a key player in our season has been Pereira. There's no one like him in the team. There's no one that gets about the pitch the way he did in the first half of the season. And we, we forget sometimes that he didn't have a, a summer break because he was playing in Brazil um, when our, our summer break was going on. So it, that's why he hit the ground running because he was ready for the season because he'd been playing. Uh, but that was always going to catch up with him. And not having a like-for-like for like replacement for him, I think has impacted on Mitro's game. I think it's impacted on the creativity of the team. And and that's probably why we've seen Silva go to the style. It's a complete chalk and cheese to how we started the season to what we're doing now. You know, for, for perspective, in our last nine Premier League games, we've had to play Chelsea twice, Newcastle away, Tottenham, Brighton away and Brentford away. You know, so to be in the position we're in is incredible, really, that we, we've had accumul- accumulated the amount of points we've got. So I think it's really important to, to factor that in when we judge an off performance just because it was against our rivals. You know, I, I think the team deserved more than that from us. Yeah, I think Danny made some really, really good points there. Um, the interesting one, I think, is is sort of the change in style that we've seen and how Brentford's tempo on Monday night kind of mirrored ours in the early start of the season. And looking at the numbers from the game, their most played pass on the night was David Raya to Ivan Tony. That was the most played pass they did all evening, nine times during the game. Our top three passes were Bernardino to Tim Ream, Tim Ream to Anthony Robinson and Anthony Robinson to Mana Solomon. I mean, it sort of shows how slowly we were working through it. And yeah, we just couldn't match sort of the intensity of, of like and directness of, of getting the ball up to their front three. Um, the other thing I'll just touch on that Danny said there is how after a tough run, our fixture list does look quite attractive. But of course, <laughs> playing those teams sort of scrapping around, struggling at the bottom is never particularly fun towards the end of the season. Um, just with, yeah, as I say, it's just them trying to, scrape and battle do everything they can to survive but hopefully it is set up for a good end to the season 
Yeah, and I think what Danny's saying is positive, and I like that. And I think this this could be our blip now already. We've been a bit rusty of late in the last few games, but if let's say let's say after Arsenal, let's hope we win that. Obviously, but we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna count on it. But if after that we we can actually start maybe progressing a bit, and we've already had our lull then, and and things could look a bit sharper again. Um, yeah, I mean, looking back at how they took advantage of us, I always I did think Lukic. Uh, had a good game. I thought he he grew. He he started okay, then faded off a bit. Um, him and Reed, I think we always said that when Lukic arrived, he was going to be an upgrade on Reed. So him and Reed together maybe wasn't the sort of the same the, the, the pairing we would have liked. I thought this sort of game actually would have been perfect for Tom Kearney if he had played. Um, if obviously it'd be more perfect if it was Polina, but Tom Kearney in this game or coming off on the bench would have been sublime because I felt like we had absolutely no control in the middle. And as you were saying, uh, well, as Danny was saying as well, you know, Andre and um, Pereira and Mitro been brilliant for us, but they're, they're fading because they've just they were kept out of the game by Brentford massively. I think you know it seemed to me that actually Brentford had a third centre back at times with. Um, with uh, their number six in front of them the whole time, um, I can't remember. I think it's Norgard actually. Yeah, so that that's a uh, they just look so compact and organised. Um, even when even when they were winning, it's um, it's bizarre. I've got to move on to the next point now, and this is quite key. Um, and it's not what you need in a derby like this. Um, it, it, the point is, well, Anthony Taylor colon a catalogue of bullshit. Um, and Danny, I'll go to you first with this. This was a game where I felt like. Anthony Taylor was looking for as many problems as he could find as opposed to actually letting the game flow a bit. Now, would you say that's fair or a bit bitter of me because we lost? I, I'm I'm convinced that he didn't do a fair job on either team, actually. Um, I, I, I wonder if the, the way Marco Silva reacts uh, very passionate, passionately on the touchline rubs the officials up the wrong way sometimes. And they get a bit defensive. I think, obviously, when you're one of the big clubs, I think they're scared to upset you. But when you're Fulham, um, I wonder if they it has the reverse effect. I know they're supposed to be neutral. Um, but when you're forever criticising someone doing their job, you, you wonder how they would react to that. I'm not saying that's the case. And I'm not criticising Silver at all. Because I think it's brilliant, the way he acts. I love it. But... From their point of view, maybe that's why they don't give us the rubber the green sometimes. Um, and I think the but I think the, the the honest answer is all the referees in this country are shit. And you know, there's no consistency because they're shit. So they might have a good game, but then they'll have a, a bad game because they're shit. And and that's that's just where it is, and it's you know we. It's easy for us to remember when we've been shortchanged, but every club's the same. Every club remembers the the one time when it went wrong for them, but forgets actually when it, a VAR decision was convenient and and got a goal ruled out. So every, it, I don't say it evens itself out, but I think it's easy for us to look at that and and blame that. We were just it was just an off day all round. What I will say. Is the is the 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 challenge on on uh, Lukic? I mean that decision is a disgrace. Um, a referee's responsibility is not only to you know ensure that the the, the rules are, are followed, but it's also um, to ensure the safety of the players. Now, you could argue that it was an accident, 
but you certainly couldn't argue that it wasn't reckless and it wasn't out of control because if it was out if it wasn't out of control you would have been able to pull away there was quite a, a long time bef between having his leg high upon Lukic's um, like shin and and the time it travels across his body all the way into his face I'm not saying he did it on purpose but if he was in control of his body he would have been able to pull out of that he was high in the first yeah. place so it's not like it was two players sliding on the floor that could have taken his eye out you know and and, and he did well I mean I, I, it's, a, it's an absolute disgrace that, that VAR didn't intervene I can understand why he missed it because I didn't think it think any anything of it uh seeing it live but when you see the replays i just don't see how they don't uh, do anything about but he did that. give us a free kick was, didn't he so he he's seen something there he's seen something yeah i mean look i, I mean i know we've we're going to criticize ivan tony you know and, and you know we will but in that situation i don't think he has deliberately gone to do him in the face but that's irrelevant. It was a dangerous tackle. Yeah, it is. And and it, it it's it's the wrong decision. It, it was it was a lot of force in him putting his boot there, and the result was just a really really nasty injury. Yeah, and and it was also um, it almost was a double slap in the face because I'll never understand the rule where if you're genuinely injured, I mean he had to have stitches at half time. You could see that he was hurt. He wasn't like time wasting. He has to come off the pitch then to, uh, because he's um, had treatment on the pitch. So then he has to wait for the referee to wave him back on, which means he's out of position. And when we when um, they you know they win the ball back and they counter attack, that's pretty much why he has to foul him because he's not he's not back in time. And, and I wonder if that went through the referee's mind because because that that was an equally ridiculous decision. I don't think you know we know we're Fulham fans, but it was. A yellow card all day long, so I wonder if if that he did that to balance it out because he knew it was his fault that he he had to make that challenge. So all round the rules are so flawed, um, and once again they got it completely wrong. But how they don't send him off for that and then they give a penalty is just the mind boggles. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I thought that was a great point that that Danny made during the game. The fact that. Lucas was off the pitch after receiving treatment and then waved back on as they're breaking away and he's then made that tackle which which definitely should have been a yellow card and you sort of Anthony Taylor was then saying oh he wasn't in control of the ball so it's not a yellow card offense but it, it definitely was um we would have been furious if it hadn't gone our way but then yeah two things like Danny I wonder if well he's gone off the pitch and that's kind of my responsibility, so I'm going to be lenient. Or also, he can see that he's suffered a really bad facial injury that he's not taken any sort of further action on and and decided to give him a, a second chance there. But similarly, I do wonder if like if the Brentford players, Brentford management have got in his ear as they're going off at half-time in the dressing rooms during the break, and that is the reason why he's given such such a soft penalty early in the second half because I thought that was an absolute joke of a decision. Um, well, let's let's move on to that. That's a nice assist there for the next point. So obviously that, I mean, you know, I've spoken to a few people, one of my close friends, Alex, who I go to the games with, he messaged me say, it's bollocks, but that is, I'm afraid, in the letter, in the eyes of the law, that is a penalty. And you can argue that the law is an ass. But I mean, 
I just I think that's the softest thing, and it killed the game and ruined it. And it's a, a, also another thing to my point that I think Brentford were incredibly lucky this game in terms of getting a dodgy penalty and you know getting a. a you know, a deflected shot to, in the first place um, from Tim Ream. Just, uh, yeah, an absolute horror show. Anything you want to add there, Sam? Sorry, I was just sort of ricocheting off what you said. Well, no, just in terms of that penalty, Don Goodman on co-commentary, who I think had an even worse game than Anthony Taylor, um, made the suggestion that he, he was he was saying that, oh, it's definitely a penalty, it's a great decision. Uh, all we're getting is these sort of slow-down um, frames of of Diop connecting with Norgard's foot, and that contact is minimal. I would say there's as much force in that contact as there was on William for when he got booked for diving. Um, there was nothing in it. He, he threw himself to the ground, and yeah, it's a sort of that similar VAR thing. Is that they always, if you slow it down, and you're only going to look at it in slow motion. It's like yes. You can see, you could argue that that's a foul, but it's not. If you're going to give that, lots of people have said it, you'd, you'd be giving penalties five or six times a game. Um, it was quite similar to sort of incidents, uh, sort of the penalty that Brighton got via VAR at the cottage earlier in the season, and also the one we gave away at Sheffield United um, two years ago. Those were definite penalties because the, the contact was forceful. There was nothing in this whatsoever. Um, and as I say, I, I wonder if he. F- He's realised that Lucas should have gone off for for a second yellow card, and he thought, "Well, I'll give something back to Brentford to get him off." Well, spe- speaking of yellow off. cards, quickly, um, this is, I think, another game now where the opposition, well, Brentford certainly didn't get any yellow cards this game, and we got three, and that has now got us to sixty-four yellow cards this season. I don't have a chart next to me to know how outrageous that is or if that's abnormal to be at this stage of that many yellow cards. But there is just a little conspiracy theory that likes to play in my head, a little tin hat theory, that there's just something that refs have now just noticed about our style of play, the disruption maybe that Polinia's legacy has left behind when he's, even when he's not playing, that we need to be on the lookout. But, I mean, the fact that... You know, they, no, they didn't even get a yellow card for that challenge on um, Harrison Reed, which I thought was a, you know, a high... You know, High, high, high ball challenge that you know winded him. I just thought that was a dangerous one too, and I think it's also good to mention that Sasa Lukic obviously cut his leg as well. Producer Don's telling me so. I mean, he had a real baptism of well, it's not his first game, but his second game, and obviously you know, welcome to the Premier League indeed. He's got scars to show for it. But yeah, this kind of goes on quite well to another thing I'm rattled by. Um, I'll go to you, Danny, about this. Um, it's another tin hat theory. The, the media love for Brentford is just something that I'm trying to really um, not get annoyed by, but it's just it really is working. I mean, I mentioned it with Sam earlier, with Tony like chipping Leno and it obviously not going in, but the commentators say, is there nothing this man can't do? And you've got just the commentators. I thought the atmosphere was quite flat, to be honest. It's, it gave me the impression that Brentford only liked to sing when they're winning. But as soon as there was noise, it was just like the commentators, God, the atmosphere is just brilliant here, isn't it? What a great place to watch. And I'm just, I don't get it. Even at the dressing room at the end, I just don't believe that you'd actually ever have... Did we have cameras in our dressing room when we beat them? And I think that was on Sky. I just, I find it all really well, weird. It, it is weird. But, and, and, and I think we should take comfort in that, that we're quite normal as a football club. Um, I think we've also got to take comfort in the fact that people, they, they might see it as a surprise that the yo-yo club is suddenly doing really well. But as a club, I don't think people look at Fulham, certainly not like fans of like the, the last 20, 30 years and go, oh my God, Fulham, they're in the Premier League. So 
for Brighton and Brentford to be such surprise packages, I think it's, in some ways, even though it's done in, in a, a nice way, I think it's patronising. It's almost saying that, oh my God, Brentford? How can Brentford be up there? So, you know, it'll get boring eventually to let them have their moment because where's this going to go? Bournemouth had very similar and I don't think it's sustainable to ha be a Premier League outfit um, punching above your weight with a size stadium that they've got. So I know the income of stadiums isn't everything, but it's just it's just not, they're not really going to build on it. I don't. I just don't see what, where it can go in the long term. It's almost like an extended honeymoon, um, and they might qualify for Europe. I think there's a lot to be admired about the way they run as a football club, but when you're punching above your weight all the time, that will eventually catch up with you. And I'm sure at you know at this stage of Bournemouth's progress under Eddie Howe, no one imagined that they'd be going down in a couple of years, and they did. So. This could easily go horribly wrong, and and Ivan Tony, when he's banned, could could be catastrophic for them. I, I think the only saving grace is that they've got time to prepare for it. It's not going to just come out of the, out of nowhere. But yeah, let let the media love them. It it really doesn't bother me at all because we've never had it as Fulham. Even when we got to the Europa League final, it wasn't the Europa League wasn't seen in the way it is now. Um, it was. Everyone was like, oh, well done, Fulham. But it wasn't the same. So, yeah, it, that doesn't bother me. And I'd, mm. I'd like to go back to the penalty just quickly and say that if you're giving penalties just because there's contact, then you're basically saying every time someone is touched, whether they go down or not, it's a foul. And it's not. That's not true. So the player wasn't in control of the ball. The ball was actually booted away. And it was nowhere near enough for him to go down. So... To me, it's just that happens in the box, it happens all over the pitch. So I think it was a joke of a decision, but uh, and I think it's also a joke of a decision that that um, Ivan Tony wasn't even booked for for, for the challenge on, on Lucas, let alone a red. Um, so that just sums it up. You know, you say in Fulham get all these bookings and and other clubs don't get them. Well, I t I'll tell you something, Danny, sort of linking those two points together, was I watched the Sky's half-hour highlights of the game earlier today, just in preparation for this, and they didn't even bother to include Tony's challenge on Lukic, um, despite, as I say, highlights being half an hour long. Uh, they had his, his foul seconds later, but did not show that, and I just feel that plays into this, this apparent sort of sycophancy that they seem to have for Brentford at the moment. Um, but I completely agree again. These things have a habit of working in cycles in football and it, within a couple of years, they'll be being referred to as tin pot and people will be suggesting, oh, wouldn't it be better to have Sheffield Wednesday up again and all this nonsense. So enjoy it now, yeah, Brentford yeah. fans, but it's not going to last. 100%, 100%. And, and um, with the, us getting a, a lot of tally, a big tally for bookings, I, I would say that's part of our success. I, I don't think we're a naive football team anymore. I think we're streetwise. Someone's someone's out of position and the team are going to uh, gonna counter-attack. I think we take them down. We take the booking for the team. If we're winning 1-0 and we can waste a bit of time here and there, I think we'll do it. So I think the bookings uh, uh, just something we take 
um, in order to be the, the team we are. And um, and we're also an aggressive team. Some teams are a bit placid and let you have the ball, but we we've been, we don't seem to show teams much respect. I think for the most part that's true, but also there's been quite a lot of occasions recently where I think Paulinho and Mitrovic have, have been booked more on reputation than what they've actually yeah. done on the field. Yeah, and I, and I think Paulinho is is a good reflection of the team as a whole and how they, how those bookings have gone. Some have been streetwise, some have been undeserved, uh, and I do think that yeah, our reputation goes before us now. But so what? I mean, I don't think we're a dirty team. I think we're a clever team. You know, I, I remember back to when we was trying to get into the playoffs under Slav the first year when we lost to Reading, and everyone couldn't stand Sheffield Wednesday. Because they were they were quite a, a clever team with time wasting and and knowing knowing how to just grind out the results. Um, so I, I think it's just it's just a, 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 our style at the moment, and it's a, it's a way we've we we've became become competitive in the top division. You know, we don't have the resources of the top teams, and that will come over time. But in the short term, we had to find a way to to survive and. And we've done that. And you both mentioned Mitrovic um, with, along with Paulinho. And we've talked about how the missing hole of Paulinho was definitely a struggle for us. Uh, uh, Sam, I'd like to go where you think our weakest link in this game was. You were talking about crosses earlier, but bring it on to Mitrovic as well. That, that's, uh, th- that seems to be uh, an issue that a lot of people are giving him too much of a hard time for at the moment. Um, you know, we can all love Mitrovic and be critical and, you know, know that we... We know we've seen better and know how much he can contribute, but there's just something a bit off, um, heat maps and all, you know, that we've been sharing with each other. Yeah, he's coming for a fair bit of criticism in the aftermath of, of Monday's game. Um, to be honest, I actually thought he played as, as well as anyone after that initial blitz from Brentford in the sort of the opening minutes. Um, but he is absolutely, yeah starved of service at the moment there seems to be two factors at play I think in, in perhaps this this blip that he's going through one is our, yeah, go on. our absolute lack of creativity and I think also it's the, the ongoing ankle injury that he has um, I mean sort of looking at the creativity side first I thought yeah, what, what Danny said about Pereira was, was spot on earlier and that's certainly having a huge impact um, we know if we give him the ball in the box, he'll score goals. Whatever level he's playing at, he's going to score goals. But we're, we're not doing it. He was having to drop so deep on Monday to get involved in the game. It's no wonder that he looked frustrated. It's no wonder he keeps talking himself into bookings. Uh, he had, in the second half, he had 18 touches of the ball, 11 of which were in his own half and only two in the penalty area. And with one of those, he produced something quite outrageous to, to almost flick one in past David Ray at the near post. Uh, yeah, we, we looked at his heat map for the second half before we came on air and it was very much compacted just inside his own half on either flank where he's obviously coming short to get the ball off throw-ins. And, and, but we're, just, we're not getting the ball to him um, and that is the fundamental problem at the moment. Also, just to... to just to add on his injury as well, um, the, the, there was sort of an in-depth interview with him in the Athletic a, a month or so back, and he said he's he's barely trained in the last couple of months, and it's something that the club are managing on a game by game, day by day basis, uh, and he's in need of a three to four week rest. I I think that's probably underplaying it. I think he probably needs longer. 
he may even need an operation I'm just sort of speculating there um, but we cannot be critical of someone who's who's essentially put their body on the line to play for us this season um, and yeah, I said it, said it last week let's just get behind him for the final sort of couple of months of the season hopefully we can we can produce some creativity from somewhere and get him, get the ball to him in the box as I say he's always going to score goals if you do that yeah and the creativity you talk about I mean I think this is maybe a bit of a rug thing to say I don't think Willian and um, Solomon are actually right together starting in some ways some ways I feel like Willian actually struggles a bit um, on the right hand side because I mean he's played there a lot in the past but he hasn't got the speed that he has anymore and obviously he's right footed so cutting in from the left on his right obviously suits him a lot more and on the right it feels like he has to beat his man a lot more and he just wasn't able to do that now Solomon obviously scored a goal again and brilliant and you know nice header bit lucky but great and and he's in top form and like we where would we be without him at the moment with those goals he scored recently but yeah the, the lack of creativity is a concern and I feel like Robinson had one of his worst games for us in terms of his crossing um, and just everything just seemed a bit I thought Kenny Tete had a very good game actually I, I was surprised to see him come off but we'll get to that um, D- Danny just your thoughts on everything I've just said but also the Mitrovic thing as uh, Sam was on about yeah, so, well, let's start with the Mitrovic thing let's, let's carry that on because that's important um, I'm you know, I, I know for full fact, I try to do my bit with social media, but I'm not a social media person, like, in, in my private life. Um, I try to stay away from it. So I'm a bit oblivious. Is there Has there been a lot of criticism of Mitrovic lately? There's been a few, like, 15-year-olds on Twitter or something just saying, like, we need to sell him now. You know, <laughs> you know, he just he doesn't want to uh, be here. Fuck it's him, a know, lot of the of same rubbish. the same voices that were on his back sort of during the Parker season and were pro Scott Parker and, and less so Mitrovic. It seems to be, uh, Tristan said it on social media earlier today, is that some people were kind of almost waiting with glee for him to go through a bad patch so they can sort of make out that they were right all along. Well, I think this is where where the word supporter comes into it. And that's a key word, support. You know, you take the, the good times with the bad. And that doesn't mean he gets a free pass. But we're talking about someone who is a Fulham legend who has carried the weight of goals on his shoulder for a long, long time. Um, stayed with us through relegations when he could have quite easily gone. Got us back up. God knows where we'd be if he hadn't stayed and scored those 43 goals last season. Um, played through injury after the, the international break before the World Cup that risked the opportunity of a lifetime to go to the World Cup. Yet we don't have anyone else but him. And it's so obvious how weak we are when he doesn't play. And that's not a criticism of Vinicius. I'm going to stay away from that. Because you can't compare the two. One's a Fulham legend and one's been here five minutes as a backup. But, but, but there are people that will say, well, Mitchell did no, no better than Vinicius today. He's earned the right to have a bit more slack than Vinicius gets. He is a Fulham legend. He deserves... Our, our patience and our support if he goes through bad patches nobody is going to be perfect all the time but he's proved time and time again that he's a he's a quality player his record alone for for club and country um speaks volumes of, of how prolific he is so we we need to be patient with him and we need to bear in mind that he is injured and he's playing through injuries and and, and a little bit like ross mccormack he's not built like an athlete so if he isn't training and he's, got, he's, he's had time out, it's going to take him a while to get that 
that sh- that edge back. I think he's at his best when he's playing all the time, and you know he's the he's the fittest I've ever seen him, uh, and the best I've ever seen him. You know, across this season, he's he's absolutely vital to the way we play when he comes deep. The the way um, um, Marco Silva has reinvented his role for the team is just genius, and I I I just that I'm gobsmacked. I think it it is really a proper lack of gratitude to get on his back after a few ordinary performances. Not even bad, a quiet spell. Mm. I mean. 11 goals when we were relegated with arguably one of our worst teams. 11 goals or 12 goals, whatever he scored, just even before the World Cup break. It's, I don't want to come across as a, as a wind-up because I'm not criticising other people's opinions. But to me, it's borderline pathetic. Yeah, I get it. I completely, I completely understand that, mate. Um, I think... I mean, regardless of that, I mean, he he did stay on the pitch, and um, it's not that he has no passion. Like you know, some people are questioning his desire. Complete bollocks. I mean, like you should his reaction when we scored the first goal. I mean, everything about him is just he loves Fulham, and like we'll obviously keep supporting him. Um, he just needs to get through this rusty patch that he's going through. It was I was pleased that Vinicius scored though. It was interesting seeing the two of them up front in a sort of four four two formation. I think it was a four four two, and it, it kind of works. And I'm glad Vinicius got another goal. And I don't like the idea. Just saying, you know, I think it's a wind up from, from some people saying that Vinicius managed to do in five minutes what Mitrovic lacked to do in the entire game. That's not fair necessarily at all. Um, but we need to talk about the substitutions. This is um, something that we're getting a bit of a deja vu with, with just the wrong changes. I don't know. I just like your thoughts on them. I thought Kenny Tete coming off, he had a bit of a bruise on his cheek, but I, I thought, you know, he was our best player. You bring on Cedric, that's okay. But then obviously. He has a whoopsie and leads us to the to, to them scoring the third goal. And then obviously you've got Wilson who comes on. And I'm just I just don't really understand why we're not bringing Dan James on more when we're trying to change games. I know Wilson we he's earned the right a little bit as well as Danny alluded to. He did incredible for us last season with assists and goals. But I just feel like Dan James is should be getting more of a look in for his speed when we're trying to win a game or chase a game or make defenders question things. Anyway, on to you. No, I think that's fair. I, I've been uh, asking the same question about Dan James in in recent weeks. But what I I felt looking at our subs bench for the Brentford game, what it did kind of highlight is we've got a real lack of options at the moment. Looking at oh, our yes, two goalkeepers. Looking at I our should bench, have mentioned that <laughs> two, two two goalkeepers, a seventeen year old in Luke Harris, two defenders, two low knees, and I think most worrying of all, three Welshmen. So. <laughs> there wasn't much to turn to in the second half when just things weren't going our way. Um, obviously, we've been rightly banging the drum for, for Manor Solomon to start a game, but his inclusion did mean that we were without any kind of impacts up for when things were going wrong in the second half. Exactly. I completely agree again. Tom Kenny's absence is, is being felt really hard at the moment because his ability to come on and either control the game and slow it down when we're winning if needs be or sort of that extra inventiveness that he has in opening up opportunities for others um, we're, we're missing that as well so yeah I, I feel there's a, a lack of options I feel we're being forced into playing the same team each week and I think a lot of these are, are sort of factors that are, are contributing to why we're not creating as much as for the substitutions yeah, on Monday I mean as you say Kenny Tete had taken quite a heavy knock just beforehand, and I do wonder if that was 
the big factor in him sort of coming off and and Cedric coming yeah. on. Um, oh, well, and also the fact maybe that Cedric can't play against Arsenal on uh, on uh, Sunday, so that might be a factor. You know, you got to get you know Kenny needs to be fully fit or you know with lots of juice in him for that game. Oh, absolutely, uh, but I, yeah, I, I do I do find sort of the um, the decision to turn to Harry Wilson quite a peculiar one because. I said it last week. There's a player in there, but we're not seeing it. He's he's not offering anything at the moment. So, well, that's well. You look, you look, Sam. You look at the player they brought on to assist the goal um, for for for, um, for their third, and um, it's a player called. Um, I mean, it's pronounced. I'm going to say Shade, but I know it's not pronounced that way. But he, I mean, that's a really really fast player who outpaced Robinson. Nothing taking away from Robinson because Robinson obviously is very tired and he's played a full ninety minutes. So I'm not expecting Robinson to be able to keep up with a really fast substitute. But the fact we didn't go for a player like that to try and change things around in Dan James, and I know Dan James isn't perfect, but he has scored. He has won us a penalty. I think he might have assisted. He's not great, but he offers a little bit more than what Harry Wilson would do. Harry Wilson with the ball is just quite timid at times in my opinion and, and just when there was an open space to make a pass from each for instance he'd bring it back a bit I don't know just yeah I'm Dan James sure. has that, that that factor where he doesn't know what he's going to do next so how can we have any idea but that sure. can be that can be troubling to defences and if yeah if you're in a, a game like that chasing chasing a goal very sort of wet conditions why not throw someone who's who's got a lot of pace on and it's quite mm. direct because um, it's what they had in their attack I, th- I think um, the problem with Dan James I, th- I think he's um, a victim of the changing system because now we are really compact um, and we play a lot deeper and I think you probably need to be better on the ball um, whereas he might be really really fast but I don't think he's particularly that good a footballer if I'm honest you compare him to the the skill set that like a William or a, or a Solomon has got. They've got the ability to have a burst of acceleration, but they're also very good on the ball. Um, I think if we had Dan James starting games, I think he'd lose it a lot. Um, I also think it's horses for courses with Dan James. Brentford had pretty much everyone behind the ball when they were winning, uh, and we just couldn't break him down. They were very organised. There was no space in behind for to play him in. Fair it enough. needed a Tom Kearney. It needed, it needed that kind of player. But I totally get where you're coming from with Harry Wilson. I, I, I'm not convinced that he is the go-to sub for Marco Silva. I think it's a case of picking the 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 best of a of an average bunch. Uh, I think if, he probably wishes he had more options on that bench. And mm. yeah, I, I mean. Without saying horrible, I, ideally, I don't really feel inspired by him bringing on either. So fair enough. Uh, but but I definitely think the balance of the team doesn't work with William on the right. It just it's almost like playing all your best players for the sake of playing all your best players rather yeah. than playing him in their best positions. Um, and if they both want to play on the left, we've probably got a decision to make on who starts and who doesn't. Uh, I would probably opt to start William. And when he tires, that's a perfect time to bring Solomon on. But I'm not sure that's going to convince Solomon to sign. You know, and I think that is probably another factor in why we have to start giving him more minutes because we need to yeah. make sure he's as happy as possible. Oh, also, yeah. I was just thinking, annoyingly, Dan James has a pretty good record in his career against Brentford. 
uh, two goals and one assist in three career appearances against them, including one for Swansea where he pretty much ran the whole length of the pitch. So see, uh, that's what you want. I should have said anyone just just to sort of worry their fans in the last ten fifteen minutes. That's the thing. But also, um, I thought like Bobby Reid should have maybe given a bit more time. I mean, so what Danny's alluding to there is obviously how Willian is better suited to the left, and obviously we don't want to we don't want to piss off Solomon because we wanted to stay after being pimped out by Fabrizio Romano the other night, saying that he's going to go back to Shakhtar and he's got all these clubs circling him. So thanks very much for that. But I thought Bobby Reid had a, a case to actually start the game potentially for scoring the goal in about eleven seconds, whatever it was, against Brentford when we faced him the first time. But yeah, there, there, there's a lot, there's lots of mull over there. I, I think I'd like to just go to back to you, straight back to you, Sam, with your thoughts on general because we talked about where we think Brentford are going to be in the next few years, and we, we're thriving off, uh, hoping for the idea that they'll they'll do a Bournemouth and go back down and stop being so arrogant and so spiky of us. But just this was like called a six pointer for the Europe places, and we could tie this in where we think other clubs will finish now as well. I would just like your thoughts and what does it confirm to us, us three here, where Brentford could finish because they've got two games in hand, um, Everton and Southampton. And I think a lot of their fan base is saying they could go fourth in a couple of games' time. And I'm just curious to know what you think. Where this game really fits in in the grand scheme of things, I think it will have very little say, to be honest. Um, I I don't think there's much between the two clubs. And I think that was uh, evident over the two games. Fair enough. what I do think at the moment is Brighton are probably better than both of us and if any one of the three teams that are supposedly overachieving are going to break through and finish in the European places this season it will be them um, but a lot will depend on on sort of the factors that we've spoken about tonight in terms of the end of the season it's like you know, can we get Mitro firing can we start creating chances for him and can we take advantage of a sort of a kind run of fixtures mm. Yeah, I agree with Sam. I, I think the, the two teams cancel each other out and we both fin- finish as a runner-up to Brighton um, this season. Um, I don't, like I said at the beginning, I don't think you can take too much from this performance. Um, I just think it was a bad day at the office. But it'd be interesting to see how Brighton, uh, it'd be interesting to see how Brentford react when they eventually lose. Because I think, like all the other praise they get at the moment, I do think it's gone to their heads a little bit. I mean, it, you're not telling me that the manager comes into a dressing room and, and all the players are perfectly lined up in in their seats and he high-fives them <laughs> one by one yeah. as the camera is on him. You know, that's for show. And 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 these things have a, a habit of coming back to bite you. If, you know, if you get too overconfident, talking about being in the Champions League. I mean... I don't. It's just not realistic. I don't even think that's realistic for Brighton, if I'm honest. And they've got games in hand, so um, it's better to keep you f- be grounded and and be realistic. Uh, and if they finish one place above us this season, someone's got to finish above someone. But I don't think it's a reflection of the two teams. I think they are just as good as each other, and they are both very good teams. We are good. They are good. Um, but. Yeah. And let's be honest, I, even, I even if we drop off now if we drop off now and finish in the top ten, it's still been a like an incredible season. Of course. Um, yeah. I, yeah, of course it of course it has. But yeah, like I said, I don't I don't think it's factored in how they're gonna react when they lose their unbeaten run. Because that could open them up to a, a right um a downfall. 
and and also I don't know how they're going to cope with harder runner fixtures because that's what I said when I listed all those things we've played recently you know we've getting all these hard games out of the way I'm not saying we're guaranteed to beat all the bottom half teams but our record against them is very good this season uh, and so if we are still in the mix and we go into those last 10 games where 8 of eight of those 10 games are against the bottom half teams you've, you've got to be optimistic with that you know I don't think you can write off our chances just because we didn't turn up in this game it's such law that we didn't turn up on this day but then we beat them in August so yeah and in better fashion as well I enjoy, I enjoyed the way we won a lot more than the way they won this game so that's, that's, that's what I'm holding on to a bit and you know it's 5-5 five, five aggregate it's, it's, uh, well, we, you we didn't have any players last. kick anyone in the face in August so there you go there you go and uh, what I'll do is now but we'll wrap this up and we'll talk about another kick in the face which is facing top of the league Arsenal and we'll do it right after this Fulham Right, Sunday, 2pm, Arsenal. I'm going to this one and I I don't know really what to make of this one, Sam, in terms of how we should uh, tactically change ourselves because we're still at, still without Palinia. Tom Kenny is going to be injured for another week or two. Um, it just feels like we just need to sort of just hope that <laughs> hope that something good happens with what we already have. Maybe maybe start Willian where Solomon is. You know, just what are your thoughts on this game? This was a game I was really looking forward to um, and actually would have put it behind both Brighton and Brentford away in terms of sort of awkwardness of the games that we've had in the last month. But that was until the Paulinho suspension. And yeah, I don't think we can sort of underplay just how crucial that is to us. I know it's a very small sample, but the two games that he's missed, uh, we've conceded seven goals. Um, So that's my biggest concern. Um, that said we're playing an Arsenal side that are now sort of beginning to really feel the pressure in their in their title hunt and it's shown in recent weeks um, yeah especially at Bournemouth you know yeah, yeah, so, 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 then, yeah. so Bournemouth Bournemouth really got at them and we're a better side than Bournemouth so we should take heart from, from that no especially at home um, we can trouble them and uh, bearing in mind that tomorrow night they're in, in Lisbon as well so they're going to have to to come back from about sort of a, a Europa League game on the on the Thursday night um, also a few injury concerns for them Trossard's out now Enketi is out I don't know if Gabriel Jesus is going to get any minutes in Lisbon sort of on his road to recovery but it'll be interesting to see what they do up front I suspect it will be a case of Gabriel Martinelli going through the middle which may mean someone like Reese Nelson or Emil Smith Rowe back in on the left, but it's yeah. sort of decisions that Mikel Arteta is going to have to make. And I, I just, I'm confident we can give them a game, but I don't think we'll see many, if any, changes from the other night because I just don't feel we have the options at the moment to do so. Yeah, I think we'll see Willian play. I mean, I actually realised that Willian obviously didn't play against Arsenal um, when we first played, and he'll have a point to prove because obviously his time at Arsenal was a bit um, unpopular. So that would be interesting. Uh, Danny, your thoughts on Arsenal, mate, and just if you think we can cause an upset here. It should be nice on the eye, at least. I hope it is, anyway. Yeah, I think after the way we played against Brentford and, and the limitations we've got at the moment with options, I do wonder if, if we are going to see Silva do something surprising uh, and maybe change the formation. I know he, he hasn't done that often this season, mm. but 
I think is it, it's not a criticism of Reed or Lukic as such. It's just an unfortunate situation that the two players that were injured were Kearney and Polina. If it had been Kearney and Reed playing against Brentford or Polina and and Lukic, you know, any kind of other combination, yeah. then I think you would have had a bit more meat in there or a bit more of a foothold in the game, so a passer. And I, I don't... I'm not sure what to make of Lukic. I'd never seen him play before until he came to Fulham. I would say he's a little bit slow and lightweight at the moment. Uh, it's going to take him time to adjust to the the Premier League, um, and he's 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 had to hit the ground running because we've got no choice. But Reed, for all the good things Reed does, he's not going to find that killer pass if a team has everyone behind the ball. So it did feel like there was a massive void in the middle of the pitch. Um, and and I would say, apart from the intensity levels, I would say that was probably the biggest factor in why we lost to Brentford. Um, but so I don't know. I don't know if we we have to flood the middle of the pitch and try and stop um, Odegaard getting on the ball. Exactly, so that I can be the one that makes them tick. Maybe we have to play William in a more central role just for this one game, um, just to make it more compact in there. Um, I don't know try, try and force them out wide because our fullbacks are probably our biggest strength at the moment so defensively you trust them in one-on-one situations more than you would a Reed or a Lukic to win a midfield battle on their own um, so I, we might have to try something slightly different but you know it's just yeah I just think the season's catching up with us it wasn't the biggest squad but it was still arguably the best transfer window we've ever had in the summer. Um, when you look at the players we brought in, they are why we are where we are. They've upgraded the team so much and it it was always going to be a hard season. Uh, it's just good for us that it's catching up with us when we've already done enough to get over the line. And, and this summer will be key to boosting our options so that we're not in this position next season. Well, I've just seen that um, Shahid Khan is selling his two hundred million dollar yacht, so maybe he's he's about to put some Mbappe funds in. Who knows? I don't yeah, know. That's what we're gonna we're gonna buy season. Dan James with that. Um, yeah, <laughs> the obligation. The, yeah. The other thing is, as Danny sort of mentioned, the the summer transfer, um, the incomings there. Obviously, Bernd Leno is a big one of those, and he's another who um, will have something to to prove, having sort of left Arsenal. After losing the uh, goalkeeper spot to Aaron Ramsdale, and he's very well thought of there, so it would be really great to see him put in a performance sort of worthy of the occasion. Uh, I, I, you know, maybe a couple of days have passed since the Brentford game. I, I do feel we can get something from this. Yeah, I, th- I, I, th- I think something surprising can happen, and I think it will start maybe with something to do with the lineup, as Danny says. And I'm confident we can maybe get a draw or even... Who knows? I mean, but it seems like maybe our luck might be running out, but at the same time, I feel like some some VAR... It does seem to me that Arsenal have been quite popularly called a, a very lucky team at the moment, so maybe VAR will give us an absolute hiding as well. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I mean, with that, what, oh. what would your score prediction be? In a <laughs> then, uh, Sam... If you'd asked me earlier, uh, I, I would have probably gone for a sort of a narrow two-one defeat. But I've taken some pretty strong painkillers, so I'm going to go uh, for a one-nil win, courtesy of Big Issa Diop from a corner. All right, all right, very good. I'm going to go with two-two, um, and 
that, that that's the way it is. <laughs> Danny, have you got any predictions, man? I think a lot was made of that Bournemouth comeback, but I think the the main thing to remember is it was Bournemouth. Um, I don't think they would have come back from two 0 down against us. Mm. I think we would have been too hard to break down, too disciplined. So. I could see this being a much harder game for them than people are probably thinking with our in- injuries and suspension problems. I think they'll probably just win. And if I... Uh, I, I don't know if this comes across the wrong way or a bit negative and unambitious, but the FA Cup is so important to me this season. I, I wouldn't be against making sure the players are 100% for that. Yeah, and and almost writing this game off, but you can't do that. You know, you can't. So Daddy's going to send out a front three of Harry Wilson, Dan James, and Carlos Vinicius. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know, and that's the problem. I think if we had had a fully fit squad, might be all right. Then I wouldn't have been <laughs> against rotating two or three of of, of the players just to make sure they was a hundred percent for that yeah. uh, trip to Old Trafford. But we are where we are, and you never know. Momentum is important in football. I think if we was to somehow get a result. I think that would probably put us in a better position to get a result at Old Trafford. Um, so go for it, and and I'm I'm going to go for a, I'm going to go for a one-all draw. One-all draw. Okay, so draws for me and you, and uh, a win for Sam. Now, Sam, I feel like I know what you're about to say because uh, Danny did a nice sort of assist there going on with the FA Cup, and this is the point where I talk all other business, and we've got two things to mention. I've already mentioned the huge, huge fucking news that Shahi Khan is selling his yacht. That's massive. Um, it's not, obviously. But obviously, you've got the FA Cup tickets that you come out for Manchester. We don't want to go over this because we've done it to death. But yeah, something something from you on this. Yeah, I just felt uh, when we all needed a uh, pick-me-up the day after the, the Brentford result, we we really didn't get it from the club when the the ticket information was announced for the, the quarter-final. So a couple of things to mention, really. It was disappointing to see tickets priced at £46 for adults. Um but also, I was just, you know, we, we, we've gone with an allocation of 3,100. Um, mm. And it just kind of feels like, are we are we kind of just giving up on it before we, we've even played that game? I just felt it's such a, a big occasion. The first quarterfinal we've been in for a long time. Could we not have made a, an event of that? Um, could we not have put yeah. on subsidised travel could we not have taken a big allocation could we not allow sort of season ticket holders to have three or four tickets and you know just do everything we can to take a huge following up there like other clubs have done um, and just you know make it a, a game to remember and hopefully one that gives us an FA Cup semi-final at the end of it I just feel the way we've done it is yeah it's frustrating and it just feels like I was really, really excited by that game. Obviously, wasn't happy at the draw, but the thought of it I was like, oh, "Okay, I can, you know, I'll take take my young son. It'll be, you know, uh, it's an FA Cup quarter final." And obviously, there's a lot of travel issues because Avanti West Coast is a, an absolute shambles. Um, and if the game goes, the government have said in the last few hours they're hopeful that actually the train strikes might end. So that that, that he's hoping for that, but you know, who knows? I bet even so, it's sort of so late in the day, and you know, yeah. With train tickets in this country being sort of an extortionate price that they are, you add on to that the the ticket pricing. I just feel, obviously, the club get fifty percent of the revenue for this, so they probably want to see a, a full Old Trafford as much as as United do. But 
I don't know, I just feel like the way we've gone about this, the way we've sold this game to our fans, it's like we've given up on it and we'll probably now be lucky to sell out the allegation, the smaller one that we've taken, rather than, as I say, you know, we could have done subsidised travel, subsidised tickets, taken thousands up there and given us the best chance of, of making the semis. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's almost as if, like, they, they was like, right, right and, and obviously this is just me coming up to my own conclusions, conclusions, but it's like they saw, oh, right, so you weren't willing to, to pay 40 quid for the Leeds game, fine, we'll just let Man United sell more tickets for their fans because um, we know you're not, you, we're not going to take 9,000 up there charging the price we want to charge. So what we'll do, we'll charge the price we want to charge and we'll just let there be more Man United fans than Fulham fans rather than listening to the, um, the, the fans and say, okay, Let's put on the free travel, or let's let's just go for it. You know, let's go and win the cup. It feels like something you know, we would we would have been... done fifteen, twenty years ago. And okay, it would have been yeah. more of a sort of a, a novel experience. We've also been to Old Trafford a lot since then. But I just I, I remember sort of some of those cup games and and putting on travel, like you say. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think you've probably got a point. And it's worth pointing out to anyone who who feels that these are decisions sort of purely made by Manchester United because they're the home team that. In terms of the FA Cup, it's it's a collaboration on both sides, both in terms of the ticket pricing and the allocation. It's just it's just a sad thought that if we did beat Man United and we got to the semi final, one step away from the final, and you asked the, the the people that make these decisions on prices at the club, from a business point of view, they would probably rather three quarters of the the stadium be the other team if the, they could charge higher prices rather than have half the the stadium be their own fans you know one step away from the final uh and that's that's just they you can't help but feel that's how it is um and it's a real shame because they've got a lot right on the pitch and the recruitment has been really good like i said the last few years um massive improvement but there still seems to be this disconnect between the fans and the, and the club and and we we aren't customers. We're this is our club. And when they came in, the word the key word was custodian. Um, and sustainability. Custodian. Yeah, he wasn't the businessman that was going to do this. So I don't know. I don't know where why it's it's this it's this way. I don't think it'll ever change. But it's just yeah it's just one of them things I, I just hope that we just turn up on the day and beat Man United and we can give our fans the dream they deserve because I think every club deserves to win something at some point and you know 144 odd years like Jesus mm. well I think it's it feels like it could be this time and and we haven't had the luck of the draw but you make your own luck and if they had really gone for it like Sam said and given us a full allocation we would have gone there and and taken this seriously, but it just feels it feels half-hearted as if business is more important than than winning, uh, and, and that's a shame. Yeah, well, I'll tell you another shame. Um, we'll just we've got about forty-five seconds left, but we'll just get our brief thoughts on um, Scott Parker's been sacked by Club Bruges, and that's um, well, that's quite funny, isn't it? Um, what you're putting that sound really briefly. I mean, you know, what can you say? I'm I'm not going to say fine. Well, I just did, but you know, what I mean, it's just it's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know maybe a, a little bit immature to enjoy sort of such Schadenfreude, but uh, yeah, I've been keeping a, a close eye on his career since he left, just to make sure that I was proved right 
on uh, every aspect. It's a great shame that my dad died last year because he uh, he he maintained to the last that Scott Parker was a good manager. And uh, dad, you were wrong. You were really wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like God rest his soul, but I, I do unfortunately agree with your son. Um, he was. <laughs> He is he isn't a very good manager. No, <laughs> uh, listen. I think we've got to be classy. We're, we're a classy club. Um, I don't think we need to gloat. I think his record since he left us says it all. You know, losing nine nil at Anfield, getting a sack, losing seven one or whatever it was in Champions League, getting a sack. We've moved on, and 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 he's gone backwards. And I think that sort of tells its own story. So. Yeah. Best of luck to him for the rest of his career, but it's very hard to see him ever being. I mean, he, you know, what I would say is he is Brentford in two years' time. Everyone lauded him for everything good he did, despite there being so many flaws. And look what happened. So, Brentford fans, you know, just yeah. be warned. I thought you meant he's going to Brentford. I don't think they will ever want to see him again after well, Wembley. I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> all, all good things come to an end. Absolutely. And, and sometimes they never come back. Well, that's that's a lovely way to end the pod. <laughs> well, I think it is, actually. Let's, let's leave it there because we'll uh, be back. We'll be back with a reaction to Arsenal and all the week's antics that have entailed and yeah just guys it's been really nice to talk to you both it's after a, a defeat like that it's nice to actually talk and it's like therapy and yeah it's it's been a pleasure it really has so thank you very much to my co-host thank you very much to danny thank you very much to sam and we'll see you again soon if you like what we're here please tell your friends about us we're on all the social media apps we're on all the pod apps and yes thank you very much. fulham <laughs>